What's good with everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Gifted Hoops Podcast. Appreciate all the support that we've been getting. I try to stay consistent with these drops during this offseason. And we're here today for what I believe to be episode 23. I messed these up. It's a running gag so far on this podcast. But what I believe to be episode 23, make sure to tap in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and also the YouTube video version. We get to see our lovely faces. But on today's episode, we are covering... The New York Knicks, and I'm joined here by a passionate, and when I say passionate, y'all, I mean passionate, Knicks fan, some would say Knicks survivor, Sean, feel free to introduce yourself to the people, man. My name is Sean for W. This was my father's day. For those who are those who are watching, is this video only or is this audio only or is there be Both. video as well? Both. Okay. Both. For those who are not watching, I'm holding up my father's day present. It is a picture it is a it is a picture of myself and my 7-year-old son Zach with an H. Both wearing RJ Barrett jerseys at a game in Philly that we lost by like points. That's how much of a Knicks fan I am. But we'll start there. Gifted, I am happy to, I'm glad to be a part of this show. I'm glad to be a guest on the show. I am looking forward to discussing all with you. Yeah, I'm hype about this episode a lot because Sean is one of the first creators that I knew coming up on the Twitter sphere of things. And we've talked about basketball for a long, long time. And now his team is back in position. But with you, Sean, to start off this uh, episode, I do want to start with your feelings on the Knicks last year in 2022 and their offseason. What were your initial thoughts after the playoffs for the Knicks last year? So last year, as in the season, not last year, the season just ended, but the, the season previous? Yes. Okay, so that was the, okay, so, um, so, uh. I didn't even give a plug. So I'm a, a part of Knicks Film School, which is the number one Knicks podcast um, on whatever platform it is. And we always just talk about what the vibes are. And the 2022, 2021, 2022 season, the vibes were shitty. Uh, they were terrible. Um, going from 41 and 31, which extrapolates over a 82 game season to Above 47, 48 win pace to 37, 45, culminating with um, our star player, our all NBA guy and our all star for the year before, uh, giving the fans a thumbs down, which he then clarified in the post game press conference to mean, he said it meant that he was telling the fans to, and I quote, shut the fuck up. Um, it was just, it wasn't good. It was, you know, it was. A lot of Evan Fournier, uh, Kemba Walker and his cooked knee. Uh, yeah. A lot of, uh, I think there was some, um, there was a lot of uh, Nurnals Noel. There's a lot of Alec Burks, Point Burks. It was, it was, we won one game in February of 2022. The Knicks lost 17 of 20 at one point, uh, including blowing multiple 20-point leads, including blowing a 28-point lead at home to the Brooklyn Nets, who did not have Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant or James Harden getting killed, getting spammed by... Cam Thomas, LaMarcus Aldridge, pick and rolls to death. So 
That season could not have ended any faster. And I think that there was a feeling of the fan base. Um, and the fan base is divided. Some people think we're going in the right direction. Some people think that we're stuck and we'll never win anything. But there was a there was a feeling, there was a collective feeling of whatever this is, we can't do this again. So uh, that like the 2022s, and it has so much promise. And you know, like remember game one. Beat the Celtics double overtime. Everyone wild on 7th Avenue. And uh, then it just, I don't, when did it, I don't even know the point of the season when it went downhill, but it just like, it just, it got real ugly real quick. Yeah, I vividly remember um, the conversation around the Knicks because after they made the playoffs, they were like, good. The uh, all-star year that we saw from Randall, there was a lot of like noise around this team. And it felt like the season up and down was just weird because the bench production versus Randall being on the court, a lot of times it's like they have a really deep team, really good pluses, and they just weren't given the opportunity to really like play all too much by Tom. And I remember like the Knicks fan base being divided for sure, because I think in one of your spaces, uh, I forget if it was either live from the mecca or the day after but i remember people clamoring for ben simmons like they they wanted to have ben simmons to be on this roster and i'm like that's not gonna help exactly where you guys want to go but you guys did not end the season well but it ended right so so there was some clarity to that and you guys had a chance to retool and to me like you finally answered the question of who's the point guard generating offense. It's certainly not going to be Evan Fournier, who racked up many DMPs in, in 2023, of course, but getting Jalen Brunson to me was a phenomenal move. From your perspective, after the playoffs and you entered the offseason, how impactful was the Jalen Brunson signing, and did you like it initially? How did you feel about it? So um, it's funny you bring up about, you know, people getting play. And us being a deep team, but not really taking advantage of it. I think, all right, first of all, I'm going to say this. There are people in the Knicks fan base, and there are people in every single fan base who will always lust after players on other teams, and they don't watch them, they don't follow them. All they know is this player is putting up numbers on another team. Yes. So, yes, while there are people in our fan base that want to Ben Simmons, they're few and far between. With that being said, the biggest takeaway, the biggest takeaway from last year was like, from that from that season was all right we stink let's give these kids a chance tom thibodeau who wants to win every game and i've always said it's not that tom thibodeau wants to win he wants to not lose and he always go off the people who gave him the best chance to win even though he kept running even though we had like we had emmanuel quickly it was like hey let's just give him a run out but no we're going to continue to start a player who finished the season shooting better from three than from two which that outburst which if you Ooh. know who tom thibodeau is and how tom thibodeau is somebody who his point guards have to put pressure on the rim that's what he wants you kept running out a guy who shot better from three than from two no disrespect to alec burks we love alec burks the knicks we all love alec burks we are smart we are smart to realize that he's put in a terrible position with that being said Alec Burks coming to the knicks was the worst kept secret in the nba and I said to myself, I think that, listen, we all, it's funny because when he basically helped, when he was the catalyst of them, of the, of the Mavericks 
beating the Jazz in the first round of the playoffs when Luka missed two games, two or three games, and helped get them to the Western Conference Finals. It's like, yo, this dude might be on the come up. This dude might be him. This dude might be a star. He might. As soon as he got linked to the Knicks, he was too short. He's not athletic. It's going to be an overpay. The Knicks are desperate. And I'm like, wait a minute. So is it Uchiwali Wally or is it one mic? I was always you, you love saying that phrase, by the way. Listen, when you gotta catch, when you when you when you when you catch these flip floppers, you gotta let them know that I see you. I see you. I was oh, I had no problem with Jalen Brunson signing. I knew they weren't gonna give him a max contract, and I said to myself, they're gonna get him at a good number. If they get him at a good number, this makes sense. And they got him at a good number, and there are people. Outside the fan base, as well as inside the fan base, who said who pushed back on it? They said you gave him an all. He's not an all star. He made a hundred million dollars. There's one Nick fan whose name I will not mention, but he went. He's just like he was going ape shit. And I said, he's. I was like, his salary is in line. Like his salary was market rate because I think at the time he would have been like the thirteenth or four. He was like th between thirteen and fifteen in terms of. Point guard salary rank. So like it's fine. It's like everyone above him, you can, everyone who got paid more than him, you can make the case that they're better. Or if it's like, for example, like a De'Aaron Fox is like, well, they would like Sacramento was never gonna let De'Aaron Fox go, so he's gonna get a max. And the guys behind him was like, well, he's better than these guys. I was all for it, and Lord knows that contract might be arguably the best value contract in the NBA. And trust me when I tell you, I spent all summer, excuse me, all season reminding people, hey, remember when you said this guy was an overpay? Mm -hmm. Remember when you said he wasn't that good? He, dollar for dollar, might be the best contract in the league. Yeah, I never understood the Jalen Brunson hate because the season he had with Luka was great. Luka did not play multiple games in the first round against the Jazz, and he was still dominating and playing meaningful minutes in the playoffs. And I'm always in a mindset to where when you look at a contract, sure, you have to like see what other players are in that conversation as well, sure. But at the same time, if you are a NBA player that holds value in the playoffs and the ball is in your hand to make decisions and you're actually doing a good job of it in the playoffs where it matters most for like, the elite of the elite then for Jalen Brunson to look the way he did against that jazz team I thought was great because he was able to exploit it in similar ways to what Luka does and I always felt like the way Jalen Brunson played ever since he got into the league the way that he just controlled pace like every time he came in I felt like he was going to be the smart guard who doesn't make too many mistakes he gets to the rim has a questionable shot sometimes but ultimately a good decision maker so so when i saw the contract i'm like okay is it a lot maybe right now you're thinking that but if you prorate to two years from now three years from now with the new money coming in and all that i didn't think his contract was that crazy and more importantly i feel like the knicks needed a guard who like you said will do better than shooting higher from three and lower from two which by the way is nasty Shooting 40% from three, but less than 40% from two is disgusting work. That's nasty work. That's nasty I, work, I, I, I'm actually pulling it up right here. Um, yes, Alec Burks in uh, the 2021-22 20, season shot 40%, 40.4% 40 from three and 39% from, uh, well, 39% from the field. From two, he shot 
37.8%. That's, that's disgusting. That's, that's, that's disgusting. impossible. Yeah, um, no. the, and, and, and listen, the Jalen Brunson contract is descending. He's getting paid less next year and less the year after that. It is, but you know what it yeah, is? To win. Gifted. To win. You, you said you don't understand why he got the hate that he gets. It's because he wears orange and blue. And I get it. But you watch the team be a laughing stock for most of your like like if if you were born in 1991 and you started watching basketball in 2001, aside from a random 54 win season, you have never seen the Knicks be any good. I get it. However, when clearly the Knicks have been moving in the right direction, but you know they see it now. They see it now, but so it's not how you start; it's how you finish. Yeah, it's so. I'll tell you my thoughts on this. Right, it's it's harder for people to admit certain things about the Knicks, in my opinion, because for many many years they've been a team that makes terrible choices, terrible trades, terrible extensions, terrible head coach hiring. Like they've made so many bad decisions that a lot of fans laugh at. That they're just so used to doing it, they feel like everything is that. And I said in the moment, Jalen Brunson just played meaningful playoff minutes. He had his best regular season, and he's still a younger asset that's getting better. Plus, it's like, why would New York not do it? They just had a season where they didn't make the playoffs. They were very deflating in terms of how they play basketball, and they didn't have a point guard. To me, it made sense, and you at least see what you have, and you move on from there. And the funny part, and trust me, we're going to get to this name, Sean. I promise you. But I just quickly want to, you know remind people the funny part is the guy the the guy the knicks were actually linked to in donovan mitchell who who they would have had to given up a haul for and traded all these assets for they beat in the playoffs this year like like i looked at it as jalen brunson arguably this year to me was the best player on the knicks i'm not too high on randall i've been trying to get him traded he for is. the team yeah no, he right. is yeah. the best player. he's the guy he's the guy Yes, I thought Jalen Brunson was the guy, and more importantly, the contract value. Like you said, it's a descending contract. The only other player in the league for me who I think is probably a better contract would be JJJ, who's also on a descending contract in his last year, Sean, which I think is in 26, either 26, 27, or 28, he's making 23 million. Like that's that's just insane value. So you're a hundred percent right. On, defensive player of the year. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm with you, Sean, all day, all day. Jalen Brunson is a good, valuable player, and and this year it's like the scoring, the three point shooting surprised me, because again, I figured he was a guy that okay he can knock down threes, but his main value is against the basket. He shot forty percent on volume. Like he had a really good season, Sean. He really did. Listen, man, and and. He, like, especially since part of the reason why we're in that wilderness is because the Knicks have never been able to sign a good point guard. Like, my favorite Nick was Derek Harper. Like, he was our point guard for the team that made the finals in 94. And, I mean, after that, I mean, in no particular order, Chris Duhon, Emmanuel Moutier, uh, <laughs> Langston Galloway. Uh, like, there's been... Alfred Payton. There's been some guys that we've tried to talk ourselves into. And now, like I said, we literally just signed a guy. Like, and, and think about it. what's the other wrap up that Knicks fans get? Oh, we think we're, we think we're gonna sign all these free agents, but no one wants to go to New York. 
and this guy walked away from the Western Conference finalists to the Knicks. Free. Free. That should let you know we're on to something. I mean, to be fair, I will be remiss if I didn't say this, but to be fair, Brunson did have family ties to the Knicks. You know what I'm saying? Like, family yes, there, kid. But at he the same time, you got him. You got him. The, like, you found hey, a way listen. to get him, and that's what matters. I give you that. Hey, listen, if it were at any time, I'm no, you're not like, I know you are saying it as a point of point of information. There are people who say that, like, um, they'll be like, like the, the disparagers, um, we call them the narrative men on Nick's Twitter. Um, they say, like, besides nepotism, what is it or front office ever did? I'm like, oh, if it's just that easy that you sign free agents because you hire their family members, how about this? Golden State Warriors should hire Luca's mom and make her head of PR. And then she'll just go, and then Luca will go to the Warriors when he's a free agent, right? Or I have a better idea. Let's hire Giannis' dad and make him head of security. And then he'll just, and, and he'll just, cooking. it's simply, it's, it's that easy, right? Or if they'll just hire a relative of a superstar or a star player and you'll get, and, and you'll get them, right? Yeah, please get out of here. <laughs> Listen, man, I'm with you on that. But coming into the season, so people had their thoughts about Brunson. They weren't sure. People had questions on, can Randall mirror the same play that he had once before when he made the all NBA team? What were your expectations for the Knicks headed into the season before any ball was played? Oh, I'm actually trying to pull up my predictions from last year, but I had, so funny thing is, I had the Knicks as a playing team. And I said, okay, we had, Julius works better when there's someone that can put him in a position to succeed. And Julius basically for two years in a row, had to do everything by himself. He had to be the scorer, well, offensively. He had to be the scorer, yeah. he had to be the facilitator, he had to do everything. That pressure will be relieved from him. Um, I said I thought they would be a playing team. I thought they would win 45 games. I actually made a bet. I actually bet on FanDuel that the Knicks would. I bet $100 that the Knicks would finish in the play. And I lost my bet because they were the five seed. Because um, they exceeded it, yeah. Yeah, they exceeded expectation. But I, my, my expectation was the Knicks will be a playing team. I forget the six teams I had in front. I forget the six teams I had in front of them. But I thought they'll be a playing team. Because I said to myself, and I said 45 wins. And I said to myself, last year was a season where everything went wrong. And it was a season from hell. And they were terrible and they were awful. And they won 37. Yeah, they still won 37 with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They still won 37. So, like, okay, now you, you switched out Alec Burks or... Um, Dylan Brunson, they switched out Nerlens Noel for Isaiah Hartenstein. Um, they they eventually switched out Evan Fournier for Quentin Grimes. I'm like, this team is going to like an eight win jump shouldn't be that far fetched. Yeah, I so okay. I was higher on Brunson than a lot of people. So in my mind, I felt that he was gonna be able to play kind of at that caliber my bigger thing is the best part about your offseason is you didn't make some dumb trade to trade all of the younger guys or talent you still had them 
and and in my mind like the pluses that we saw from those units being out there i'm like okay so there's more development for these guys tom might begin to trust more of these guys into a, a brand new season they have the potential to make the playoffs i don't think i, I had them out of the playoffs but the season they had i mean they exceeded those expectations i will say and this is like a slight tidbit um i was really hoping to see more from rj barrett this season i kind of figured this would be the year where like he jumps and like really produces more by having a like a, a good point guard behind him now and he kind of was more of the same he played well well in the playoffs but you still want to see like that jump from rj really really come but yeah they performed extremely well during the regular season. Sean, for you personally, what were your biggest goals you wanted to see from the team in terms of players, future timeline, all of that within the year 2023? What did you want? Oh, it's funny you bring up RJ Barrett because a lot of us, a lot of us in the fan base um, are very high on Barrett, especially, you know, he got paid, even though every, even though everyone knows that he was one unprotected pick from going from one unprotected pick away from going to Utah in a Donovan Mitchell trade, um, which again speaks to the patience of the front office to not make the knee jerk trade. Did expect a lot. We thought he was going to take the leap. He started off kind of, and then he just started off very slowly. Um, but we expected him like take the leap. Um, we expected Mitch also got Mitchell Robinson also got paid this year that in that offseason. So we're like, okay, you need to stay healthy. You need to be, you need to be, uh, need to be a force. You need to be our anchor. If you're going to play, you know, Tom Thibodeau, 48 minutes of rim protection. So you got it. You got to be able to, to, um, rim protect rebound, what have you. Um, one of the expectations I had from that season, I want, and I obviously want to see more from the kids. Um, in that previous season, so there was a game where because now it's like it's like April and he's still not playing the kids enough. He's still playing Obi Top in 12 minutes a game and not playing and not, and still starting Alec Burks. And there was a game in Miami in early April where the next I remember that game, like baby. Mm -hmm. It went down like 18-20, and in the fourth quarter he put the kids in here and it was Obi and Deuce McBride and Emmanuel quickly. Um, think RJ was playing but it was the kids and they came back they won the game and that was against a Miami team that was trying to win like that was they were the one seed that year and of course all of, all of Knicks Nation were like just play the kids so we wanted to see more you want to see more minutes or tick the kids this that this past season and honestly when it comes to Julius Randle we're like all right just don't be we expected, I expected him to be better because like he can't be any worse than he was last year. Did not expect all NBA, but I was like, just be better. Just get back to some semblance of what you were in 2021. But then again, you don't have to be that because again, we have Jalen Brunson. You don't have to do everything. But that was my expectation for a team that I've said to myself will win around 45 games and would be a six seed because I think the teams I had in front of them were Boston, Brooklyn, <laughs> Boston, Brooklyn, <laughs> Milwaukee, <laughs> Toronto, Toronto. Good God Almighty! Um, but I had them. I had. I said they were going to be six teams in front of them, um, and Cleveland I had in front of them, and you no, know, finish seventh, finish finish seventh, win the play-in, and then we'll go from there. I got to relook at my predictions, but I promise you, Sean, I had Brooklyn. In, I had Brooklyn in the play-in because because I didn't like 
the KD stuff <laughs> and the Kyrie stuff. And I'm like, Nash is still on this team. Like, I don't know how it's going to go. They might blow this up by the deadline. And that's what that's what happened. Like, they were able to do that. But for me coming in, bro, and I'll say this, Julius Randle is a very weird player to talk about because there's some people who are going to think he's one of the best shot makers ever all time. And there's other people who are going to think he's really, really bad. Like, he's a terrible player, should not be in the league. Where I'm at with it is Julius Randle, when hot, can make, like, the toughest, like, fuck you three-pointer shot contest shots ever. But when he's not hot, he's still taking those shots. And it's kind of like, I don't know the value of that in terms of trying to win a title. What I hope for coming in is, okay, Brunson is there to organize the offense more. So maybe this takes more pressure off of him offensively so Randall can like lock in more defensively and be more of a high-impact player on that end. Didn't quite happen. So I'm I'm really wondering for the next season coming up if he can really make that change because in my mind, I told you this earlier, I think they should trade Randall, right? I think he's on a decent contract, but I understand that if you're trading Randall, you have to think about, okay, well, who's going to be the other centerpiece? Because he still gives you production on a night-in basis that you need to win basketball games. That's still there. But in terms of trying to capture, like, the goal of being a true contender and having a chance to win and compete for a championship, to me, you need another impact player in there, potentially at that spot, not named Randall. Yeah, I mean, I would say, so I actually think that Julius Randall is underrated and not that he's not frustrating because he's a very frustrated he can be a he's a very polarizing player and he's a very yeah. he can be a very frustrating player to watch because you know we always have the saying like are we gonna get good julius today or are we gonna get bad julius and you can usually tell within the first few minutes like oh we got bad julius you know uh but the hate has gone too far whether it's outside of fan base or inside of fan base, that people think he's a bum. I'm like, no, you do not make all NBA twice being a bum. You can you do not make you are not all NBA all star twice in three seasons if you're a bum. Now the difference is, and I, I give the Knicks credit, I give Tom Thibodeau credit. This 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 past season, they changed his shot diet. Like if you look at his shot chart, everything, the majority of his shots, I would say. 85% of his shots are either behind the three-point line or in the paint. Like, they told him, like, cut out this mid-range, 17-foot long two bullshit out. And he listened, and all-NBA again. So, now, with that being said, I do not think you can be a championship team if he's your best player, which I don't think is going out on a limb. I am not sure if he can be your second best player simply because, and if it does, I don't think it happened on Knicks simply because of the usage that he has. Right. And the way his game, like he's a talented player. Like he's a super talented guy, but the way he plays, you know, a lot of ISO, a lot of ball stopping, a lot of like, you know, go left, get to my spot, whatever. Like Julius, like, like if you go on like, if you go on like YouTube, you find Julius in LA or even in New Orleans. Like Julius as a roll man is dangerous. Julius don't roll. Julius don't roll. Pick and pop, not pick and roll. You he know, catching but... that ball, post up, jab, yep. jab, like yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
And like, I'll give him credit. Like, he will get the ball 18 feet from the basket and bull your ass to get into the paint and then take the fade away from the paint. And I'm like, yes, that's a better shot than from 18 feet. Um, in terms of trading Julius Randle, our front office is not going to trade Julius Randle unless it's a team that really, really wants him or it's in a star trade. Like, there are people that want him to be traded just to get him off the team so other guys can get ticked and get more burn and get more usage. That's not happening. That is not happening. Especially after Julius. they traded Obi, too. Exactly. So, um, I've always said that I, I do not believe the next next championship contender will have Julius Randle on it. Not that because I don't think Julius Randle can play for on a championship level team, but I think I don't know if it could happen here because ultimately he would have to acquiesce to a role that I don't think he'd want to do. I've always said that people say Julius Randle is a third option. I'm like, no, Julius Randle is better as a six man than as a third option because yeah, Julius is a six man can run the bench unit, bully, bully people, be the best guy on the floor. As a third option, like he's seen it. You're a guy, you're standing in the corner. You don't want to put Julius Randle. He's not, you don't want to put Julius Randle in the corner. Like he's not helping you just standing in the corner. So um, I think that when it's all said and done, when the Knicks are ready to contend, he probably won't be on the team. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he is this bum who can't play, who shouldn't play, who's overpaid. Like, no, Julius Randle, I'm going to say this. Julius Randle is one of the 30 best players in the NBA. And I see all these stupid-ass lists talking about they rank in between 44th and 55th. He's one of the 30 best players in the NBA. And okay, he may not so, like okay. how he plays. He's one of the third. Like, you don't make all NBA. Listen, I'm not saying. Listen, I'm not saying. Okay, he's made all NBA. That doesn't mean he's top 15. I'm not going to say he's top 15. Right, right. Top 30? Yes. Yes. All right, I'm going to say this much. I'm going to say this much. For now, I'm going to say no comment. I haven't really given this much thought. I'm going to just say no comment for right now. I might be inclined to disagree. But I'll say this. Like, what I respect Julius Randle for is regardless of the CTE shots and choices he makes sometimes, despite that, he does play 70 games. Like, he plays a lot more games than a lot of people's favorite players. And to me, that's really been a huge part of why he's been all NBA because more than anything, he's been available and he's had dominant stretches during the regular season with that availability. So like, I don't knock that part at all. My problem with Julius Randle is whenever he gets to the playoffs and he's playing a competent defense, they understand how to take away from him and literally limit him severely. I don't want to talk about the Heat series too much because that was just bad, but that's what the Heat are. Like, they, they are a defensive-minded team that understands what to take away. But in that same series, they couldn't take away Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson was every every game giving it to him, giving it to him, giving it to him. And I agree with your statement about Julius Randle being better as a six-man because people have to understand, if you're a third option on a team, you're not going to have the ball in your hands that much. And Julius Randle is one of those players to me that is better with the ball in his hands than without. So so on a six-man role where he comes in, he plays against other units, you could potentially see that more. It's just hard to visualize Randle on this team being a good second option because, again, the ball's in his hands. But the people who want to trade Julius Randle, let's talk about what that means. Trading Randle to me means you're either getting value back in bunches 
which you might be able to get, you might not be able to get. But that's also you potentially thinking RJ Barrett can fill this role better. And RJ is not showing that yet. I'm sorry. He might have the potential to, but I don't think he's been close enough to outright say, okay, we'll be fine. We can trade Randall, get pieces back. Brunson and RJ are the vision. I think if you're trading Randall, it would have to be for either a like a high-level player back who's better than him or fits better or for multiple pieces that makes the roster better, Sean. So I'll, all right, so I'll tackle the playoff Julius thing first. Um, I actually give Julius more grace for his playoff failures or black or perceived failures. Um, year one in 2021, the Atlanta Hawks and that tactical wizard, Nate McMillan, decided, all right, we're going to take you away and we dare anybody to do anything else. And, and they nobody could, could yeah. nobody could do anything else. Poof. And then this year, listen, if we're going to act like someone who ankle is so severely messed up that he got arthroscopic knee surgery after the playoffs, we're going to act like that doesn't matter. I don't know what to tell you. I think at that point, you, not you gifted, but you out there have an agenda. Um, at the same time, it is what it is. But I actually think the reason why I'll give him more grace is that I'm going to give a big shout out to my man XJ from Nick's Film School, my casual Friday cohort. Who he called this in in March. He was like, this offense is fake in the sense that this offense is based yeah, on. I know what he means. Iso, it's, it's, ISO, it's, based, it's ISO heavy and offensive rebounds. And that's the offense. And that's it. And now this is, and against the, listen, you don't want to bring a Miami. You're like, listen, we didn't shoot well against Cleveland. We got every offensive rebound. We out physical them. We out tough them. We ooh, beat ooh. them up. Sean, yes. Sean, Sean. Real quick, I just want you to be yes. quiet. Everyone who's listening to the podcast, do you hear that sound? That's the sound of Mitchell Robinson getting another offensive rebound on Jared Allen. That's serious. Like every time he was just dogging Jared Allen at Mobley. Every time rebound, rebound, rebound. They were getting Bro, beat up, man. They were getting beat up in that series. Up. Yeah. But we didn't shoot well against Cleveland, but we defense, offensive rebounds, whatever. And yeah. then we got to Miami, and we didn't shoot well against Miami, partially because Eric Swartz was like, I don't think none of y'all can shoot. I'm going to run this zone. I'm going to have, I'm going to have, oh, you're putting Josh Hart in the corner? Cool. I'm going to have Max Drews guarding him, but he's going to have one foot in the paint. Um. So now this is two postseasons in a row where the offense, which regular season, fine. The Knicks, the Knicks, the new, the 2022-23 New York Knicks had the, I believe, the seventh best offensive rating in the history of the sport. Yeah, it was. Right? It However, was yeah, two whites now. You get to the playoffs and it just bogs down. And shout out to XJ, he called it fake offense. Like it's heavily, heavily dependent on offensive rebounds. What happened now? In regards to RJ Barrett, if you trade Julius Randle, RJ Barrett step up. Lineup data says that Julius Julius Randall and RJ Barrett do not fit well together. They don't. Um, and like if you look at plus minuses of Julius of like all the other starters, all the guys, like M and RJ have a terrible plus minus, a terrible offensive yep. rate together. But they've also played they play together all the time. So 
Well, listen, I've said this. You will never see R.J. Barrett to reach his full potential as long as he plays with Julius Randle, period. End of story. That doesn't mean if you trade Randle, R.J. is going to become freaking SGA or, you know, whoever. But those two don't fit together. It is clear as day. And one, one, and since one of them has the ball more than the other, the other is going to have to play differently. Now, we saw R.J. embrace his role in the playoffs. And that's good. Hopefully, we see more of that. And maybe RJ felt like he had to impress people and show people he's a star. But those two don't fit well together. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. I feel like they kind of occupy the same part of the floor. And they're also like similar positions. Like, it's just hard. I think what I want to see better from RJ is to get back to being a great catch-and-shoot shooter. Because he had that one year. Now, granted, people call that year fake, fake, no fans or whatever. But I do think if RJ can get back to being a more consistent catch-and-shoot guy, it would be better. But the problem with that is, like, the level you have to get to has to be to where teams do not want you to shoot threes, right? Teams are fine if Randall or RJ shoot threes, and that kind of hurts the entire spacing of the team as a whole. So I get the idea of, like, trading Randall because now... Like you're working around like a a new system where Jalen Brunson is the offensive focus, which I like, but the entire roster has to make sense. And Randall, for all his flaws, I'm telling you, when he goes into like, you know, fuck you, I'm Julius Randall, I'm going to make this tough fadeaway shot mode, he's making everything. But the variance of that it has been the problem for the Knicks in my mind. So coming into 2024, I'm not entirely sure of what the team is going to look like i do think losing obi made sense for the knicks because he wasn't getting real tick anyway and i hated it because i think he can be a solid enough player but he wasn't going to get much time on this Knicks team for real anyway no and by the end of last season this past season we all knew like it's time for him to go. Not because we don't think he can play. And I mean, yes, he does have his faults. He's not a good rebounder. He he, yeah. he he would leak out all the time and get a lot of offensive rebounds, which would drive tips crazy. But you he was in this system making and he should be a better three-point shooter, but in that system, like you like the system was never suited to his strength. And I always make the I always make the comparison. If you wanna if you wanna crush the Knicks front office for something, it's um the Knicks had two consecutive lottery picks they picked third in 2019 and eighth in 2020 and usually when you have two consecutive lottery picks usually build the team around those two guys say okay we got this guy we got this guy let's see what we're gonna do and the knicks said no you have to fit what we are trying to do and try to get them to fit into it now they're winning though it's fine now and again, you took someone eighth and you trade him for a second round pick and some cap space. That's a failure. But at the same time, like I said, they're winnings, but it works. But RJ, like we took him third and then we assigned four power forwards to block him and, and take it. And not, and not that he, like I said, not that he would have been freaking John Moran if he just had the ball the entire time. Right. But it was just like. There's always been these obstacles put in front of the kid. And listen, maybe the kid isn't good enough to overcome all of them, but that doesn't mean, oh, because he's not Zion. Well, Zion don't play. But just because he's not Damn. John Morant doesn't mean that he stinks or he was a waste of draft pick. But, you know, you have to put your people in a position to succeed. 
Yeah, I just I just think for this Knicks team, it's it's tough because while they're a defensive-minded team first, which I do like bringing back Josh Hart. Trading for Josh Hart to me was big because he's always been one of my favorite players in the NBA, plays his role, plays extremely hard, rebounds the basketball. A lot of guards do not rebound the basketball, and he can bang with like the best of them. You would hope Josh Hart's shooting comes back. It's just going to be a lot of lineups for the Knicks where their core players are just are not the best shooters, and the gravity on the floor gets bended dramatically because of that. I mean, playing with R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson, three of those guys on the floor at the same time, it just it becomes very difficult to really make high-quality offense, especially when you just have Julius Randle and Brunson ISOing, which was impressive because I'm like, damn, they have like a top five offense in this stretch right now, and they're ISOing and they're making it work. Like I was very impressed by that. But long-term success, I don't think will be found with that. Yeah. Um. So if you follow me on Twitter, I'm calling. I'm calling it Twitter. I'm not calling it X. I'm not calling um, it X either. Yeah. At Sean with a W underscore. That's literally S H A W N with a W underscore. My pin tweet right now is a is a screenshot I took because the latest. Uh, so shout out to the Knicks recap on Twitter, and he um he posted. So basically, he posted that the Knicks starting line should be Brunson, R J to two, Josh Hart to three, Randall and Mitch, and his and his reasoning being that he's watching. RJ in the FIBA warm-up games and he's killing at the two. And while I agreed that RJ Barrett, I'd rather see him at the two than at three. Um, so my pin tweet says, you want a whole lot of this and is a screenshot of Jalen Brunson against the Miami Heat with four people looking at him, two of them with their feet in the paint. <laughs> Look, <laughs> this is it right here. For Look at that watching, clip, y'all. <laughs> Look at this. Look at that. They're all like, focused on Brunson right there, yeah. They're all focused on him. And, and this is the one where I said you could literally see Josh Hart's in the corner and Max Struess is guarding him, but Max Struess is literally standing in the paint. Um, so I say that to say, Josh Hart, I'll tell this story. Game two, I'm a season ticket holder. I was at game two against the, Hawk, against the Heat with Heads up, uh, your, fo- your, fo- your focus is a little. Oh, man. Hold on. I, I'll, do, <laughs> I'll do this. Live radio, ain't nothing like it. All right, this will this will fix it. Hold on, let me do this. I, I'll I'll talk while I focus. Okay, so I'll do this. Ah. He took it off the stand, y'all. <laughs> oh, I cannot hear you at all. <laughs> I don't know what happened. It's uh fine. I can't hear you, but it's fine. I'll be able to cut all this out anyway while you basically figure this stuff out. So it's cool. I can't hear you right now, though. You hear me now? Yes. Okay. Good. Yes. All right. So what we're gonna do is all right. Why is the focus? <laughs> when I move. It is, uh, how did it? How did it? Oh, good. 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 It's back. It's back now. It's back now. Okay. There we go. Um, okay. All right, we had some technical difficulties on my end, we'll, but you know, Gifted probably did an ama- amazing job cleaning up in post. But, I um, definitely did. So, <laughs> so what was I saying? What was what story I was giving? Oh yeah, so 
Uh, game two, game two, uh, Knicks Heat. I am noticing that Josh Hart is wide open and pump faking against air and pump faking and driving into a crowded paint. And I say to myself, this isn't a Josh Hart series. Now, Josh Hart is a very polarizing player because people love Josh Hart because he's grit, tenacity, all the things that you said. But I'm like, and he showed up and he shot 51% from three as a Nick, which we all knew was sustainable. And coach Eric Spolstra said, I don't give a shit. I'm leaving you wide the hell open. And Josh Hart acquiesced by not taking open threes when he had them, pump faking against air, driving 100%. the crowd of lanes. And me and him, me and, and me and Chris got Chris, me and Cedric got into the shouting match. I'm like, yo, they're leaving him wide open. He's like, nah. I was like, that's not a Josh Hart series. Nah, you you can't say that. We need him. He got him. Da, 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 da. And of course, he hit like two big threes at the end and says, like, see, told you. See, told see you. look, he's at the <laughs> I was like, all right, but still not a Josh Hart series. And then listen, game six. Game five, game four, like, so I need Josh Hart to make 500 corner threes a day. And when he's open from three, shoot the ball. Like he's a career, I believe 35% three point shooter, which is not great. It's below league average. It's not terrible. Listen, Julius Randle shoots 34% from three, and he got to buy the three-point cons. You know what? When Julius Randle's, I'm open, it's going up. <laughs> like, you have to take, like, you, and they told, the funny thing is, that's one thing they told Julius in offseason, this past offseason. They're like, you got to take more threes. Because guess what? If you take 10 threes a game, there may be days where you're 2 of 10, but there may be days where you're 7 of 10. So, I need that from Josh. I need that from Josh Hart this year, or else you're gonna have this these spacing issues where teams are gonna say we're gonna pack the paint and and force Jalen Brunson to make something out of nothing, or force or force uh, Julius Randle to make something out of nothing. Yeah, people have to realize it takes time for a player to get the reputation of being a shooter or like a guy that they don't want to leave open. It takes like a long body of work. My biggest thing for Josh Hart is to take more corner threes but like you said don't hesitate because my thing is if you're hesitating and you shoot let's say 40 percent that's cool like that's really really cute but the fact that we've seen you hesitate in regular season games in the playoffs we're gonna live with that all day all night and you gotta prove it and normally when you prove it in the playoffs they stamp you as okay we can't leave this guy open because he killed us for a entire high level series with it but the thing with with heart is like he had plays where he 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 would catch the ball, Sean, right? I'm watching the game. He would catch the ball, like hold it for like two or three seconds, and then try to dribble to the to the paint and turn the ball over. And I'm like, bruh, like you cannot have possessions like that. Like, what makes a good team, right? I'll I'll shout out my team, Go to State, or even the Suns, right? The quickness in the decision making. Draymond can't shoot worth a damn. But when he's shooting, he shoots it. He's not going to like hold there, sit and wait. It's either he's going to shoot it or set another screen, do something to provide value on the floor. And you want to see Josh Hart do more of that for sure this season. I agree with you. Because the space is going to be nasty. I'm like, I'm sorry, but Julius Randle, RJ, and Mitch already as three is, is questionable. You add Josh Hart there, it's not as consistent. Agreed. And I actually think part of the, the bigger problem is that like... 
if you think about it, the entire team, offensively and defensively, is kind of constructed around Mitchell Robinson. Yeah. Because offensively, there was lack of offense and how you make up for it. And then defensively, he's like, I said, he's like the anchor. Like, he cleans up so much mess. So, like, that makes it difficult. So, yeah, Josh, if you're open, shoot the ball. Now, listen, we do have to talk about the high moment. I feel like we talked a lot about the Heat series, but let's talk about that Cavs series, man. We not listen on this podcast right here. We not gonna have no revisionist history coming into the series. A lot of people lean Cavs because of the talent, what they accomplished during the season, which I don't want to take away from it. They were a really good regular season team. I said last year they didn't make the playoffs. Sure. As soon as Allen got hurt, that team was not the same. I figured they would have a strong regular season. I said coming into the series, personally, this is going to be a closer series than a lot of people think. You can laugh at the Knicks. You can say everything that happened during their season was like cap. It wasn't real. That's fine. But the Cavs are not like this perfect offensive team either. I thought because of their defense and how prolific Donovan Mitchell and Garland can be offensively, they're going to be a good team during the regular season by pretty much any metric but when you get to the playoffs evan mobley can you score can you shoot are we gonna leave you open allen you have two bigs who aren't known for like really spacing the floor and then defensively they don't have a strong poa defender like who is their wing that can play hybrid between the guards and the bigs they don't have one okay for the entire season so i feel like coming into this series like damn this is really going to be based on can Donovan Mitchell and Garland get off consistently? And they weren't able to do that. Y'all beat them in five. And again, a lot of people had it going six, had it going maybe seven games. The Knicks just were the most physical team and just shredded that team entirely. What were your thoughts coming into that series, Sean? So I want to give a shout out to my other partner in crime on Casual Fridays on Knicks Film School Podcast Mensa because he said Knicks in five off the rip. And we were like, you're bucking. <laughs> I said Nixon six. The reason why I said Nixon six was I said, okay, you know how I do. I say the team with the best player in the series wins the series. Wins the, the team with the best player always wins the series. Unless that player gets outplayed by someone else. An example I always give is the 2011 NBA Finals. LeBron is the best player in the series, but guess what? He got outplayed by Dirk Nowitzki. Right. Well, Dirk was the best player in the series they won. So I said to myself, so everyone who said that, well, they have the best player in the series in Donovan Mitchell, I'm like, well, we have a guy that can outplay Donovan Mitchell in Jalen Brunson. And I know this because I've seen him outplay Donovan Mitchell in a playoff series. Um, that's number one. Number two, I knew. So you had mentioned that they didn't have a re that really good wing defender, that guy that can switch between the two and the three. They kind of do have that guy in Isaac Okoro. However... I knew, not that Isaac Okoro was like shut down, or whatever, but like, however, I knew that, and I knew this from the middle of like, when it looked like it was going to be four or five Knicks Cavs, I said, we're going to leave him wide, wide open. ass open. Every time. Yes. That's the if issue. If he don't hit yeah. shots, they're in trouble. And the other thing is, because of what you said about Jared Allen, that series forced Evan Mobley to be a better offensive player than me may have been ready to have been. But between those two, 
between Ocon and listen, JB Bakerstaff gave up on him after game one. After game one, he's like, Yank. So once he once that happened, I felt confident about the series. But I thought we could win the series because I thought we could have the better player. Um, Donovan, like I said, we we have a guy that can outplay Donovan Mitchell. And you had uh, better players Darius overall, too. Yeah, and, and you know, you know, people want to crown uh, Evan Mobley as the next Kevin Garnett, which I was like, let's relax. You know, he may get there one day, but if he don't get there, then this is going to be a struggle. And honestly, the Donovan Mitchell trade is a bet that Evan Mobley will take the leap. And listen, maybe it takes leap this season. I don't know, but I was not surprised. I was surprised we beat him in five. Because usually road teams don't win series in five games. But I wasn't surprised that we beat them. Um, and after, like, game three, it was evident. I was like, okay, we should win this series. I just want to say, like, we've done a lot of basketball talk. And, Sean, you know me. Like, I love basketball talk. But let's get to these narratives, man. Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> Donovan Mitchell, man. This player, which for years. And, by the way, you know what? I was about, Sean, I was about to lie to the people. I was going to tell the people I'm not a hater. I am a hater. Donovan Mitchell, for multiple years <laughs> on that Utah Jazz team, right? I was one of the few people who felt, and I still feel this way, I feel like Gobert was the best player on that team. And they kept saying, well, well Donovan Mitchell is like this playoff riser. He, he does like all of these. He, he balls out at like an extremely high level. But in, in my mind, it's like the floor for that team was always predicated on defense and what Gobert brought. And I said coming into this series, Donovan Mitchell and or Garland are going to have to perform at a phenomenal offensive level to make up for the lack of spacing present. Because guess what? We've seen teams win with bad spacing, but it's because you have offensive players who can overcome that and shoot the ball well. Donovan Mitchell did not shoot the ball well, y'all, in multiple games against this Knicks team. I remember in the garden, he, he was just like pulling. 30 shots, 28 shots, and just not, like, only making 10, right? Garland had some times in the season where he was outplaying Donovan Mitchell, where he was playmaking and creating a lot of things. But ultimately, in the flow of that team construction, you're relying on Donovan Mitchell to be the regular season guy he was, the guy that dropped nearly a 70-point triple-double in 2023. And he was unable to do that. But on the other end, what was Brunson doing? He was finding his switches. He was getting Donovan small. He was getting Garland small. He was putting his weight into him. He was getting to the paint. He was kicking out for threes, and he was getting to the free throw line. And everything that he did against the Jazz translated when you're playing another team that has a good defensive construction but has multiple guards that can be picked apart on defense, which ironically is what happened to the Jazz every year they were there. Gobert's a great defender, sure, but we're going to hunt all these other players. Come here, Donovan Mitchell. Come here, Jordan Clarkson. That's exactly what happened again. And it's ironic because a lot of people came into the series saying Donovan is by far going to be the best player in this series. And I'm like, I get what Donovan did during the season, but have we watched Brunson at all this season? He's also been a really good player. And we saw it play out, Sean. How, how did it feel seeing him underperform to that level, knowing he could have been a Nick and they were trying to push that L on you for not signing him and trading away all your assets? Oh, listen. This year, so many narratives that the narrative men of Nick's Twitter um, ran with blew up in their faces. Um, one of them, like, for example, the Cam Reddish narrative, 
Uh, Cameron didn't get a chance. He just ended third, and then we played them, and then he had like five points. Uh, the Donovan Mitchell thing, it was like, look, he's a good player. He's not worth he he is either he's not worth what Danny Ainge was asking for, or we are not in a position to make that deal. So like the fact that we beat him is like I don't care what Stephen A. Smith says. I don't care what people say now. Like that conversation is over. Like you want to come to our team? All right, will you will walk to our team for free? Um, I think a lot of people put a lot of stock in that 2020 playoff series um, against uh, against uh, Denver when he blew a 3-1 lead. Let's talk about it. Um, and listen, I, I'm I am I am not one to call everything in the bubble fake or everything in empty gyms fake because like I was told Julius Randle's season was fake because empty gyms and then he did it in front of non-empty gyms. But like that, I feel like that. Well. <clears throat> I feel like the Donovan Mitchell, uh, the Donovan Mitchell, the fables of Donovan Mitchell stem from the fact that, you know, he won a playoff series against a rookie against Russell Westbrook, who self-destructs <laughs> every year in the playoffs. Not too much of a not too much of a not too much of a <laughs> <laughs> And then they had the, the 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 bubble where, like, listen. And you and Jamal Murray, and I rate Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray is my guy, but they're shooting like 55, 42, 90, like like 52% from three. I'm like, yo, this this cannot, we just, nah. Donovan Mitchell's a good player. He's a very good player. You have to, like, you brought the Gobert thing. Like, I always felt the Gobert, he got a bad rap because the problem was that, like, Gobert had to guard the rim and deal with these dudes in pick and roll because they're getting cooked. It's like, okay, I'm going to call for the switch. And I'm going to have you, and I'm going to switch to Gobert, do you mean? Right. Now, and then I have to guard the rim also. So, like, I feel as if he's good, but in terms of, like, being the number one guy, He's not the, he's not that guy. And that's another conversation that me and Cedric had. Shout out to Cedric. What like he believes Donovan could be number one on the championship team. I never thought he could. So that's why I was like, I'm not making this trade. I'm not going all in on a guy I don't think is like the number one guy. Big shout out to Cedric, uh one half or sorry, one third of live from the Mecca. I've had many battles with Cedric in our day on Twitter. I did not know he believed Donovan Mitchell could be the number one. Um, I share your same opinion. I think Donovan Mitchell is a good player, but I think he has flaws. I think what happened this year and in the playoffs, he shot the ball bad. And, like, that happens. Like, it, it does happen to these players. But the bigger point to be made is just because you can be a dominant player for the regular season does not guarantee that it'll translate when a team can just say we're letting guys shoot. And while that proved true for the Cavs and that's why they lost the same thing is true for the Knicks ultimately like you're gonna have to find ways that guys can you know space out the floor and be more impactful off of the basketball and we talked about this like the RJ Barrett film thread where like I sat there and we were like looking at like film of how he can get better RJ's best trait moving forward needs to be as an off-ball guy as a guy who catches the ball gets downhill makes a quick decision when you're not thinking and you're just playing basketball and it's like quick and there's no hesitation that makes the floor of your offense a lot better so that's really what i want to see more from the knicks in 2024 what about you 
So I think this team, I want to see, I want to see, I want to see RJ Barrett take playoff RJ and keep it going. Make the right play. I want to see him stop getting his shit punched at the rim because he decides that he's not. First of all, actually, I meant to say this I want to give a shout out to the locker room, you and Derek, for taking the time out to do an RJ Barrett film set session. And I Nobody wanted and I was to see. Like, no, and nobody wanted to see. And I was like explaining things. I was like, yo, this is because of this and this is because of that. And then RJ said, I all that. But I want to see him like, <laughs> yeah. I just want to see him like, because a lot of times you could tell he made up his mind that he was going down. He was going to the basket no matter who was there. And then he would get his shit boarded. In playoffs, you saw him make the back basketball play, get into the lane, make the shot, like make the right pass or get to the rim. Because listen, I'll say this. RJ Barrett is elite at getting to the rim. He's elite at getting to the rim. Now, what he did when he get there, the problem. But he's elite at getting there. Um, I want to see. I want to see Julius. He said he he said he thinks he's mentally there now, where he needs to be as a player. As he's matured. He said he mentally. said he was watching film and all that too. So I yeah. You know. So I want to see him just make better plays. I don't want to see. I'm not saying you can't be bad, but I don't want to see like bad Julius and bad body language and oh whatever. Uh, I want to see Quentin Grimes take a leap. I want to see his playmaking improve a little bit more. I want to see his three-point shooting move improve more. Um, I would love to see Mitchell Robinson do something offensively, but I'm not going to hold my breath. And um, I want to see like better spacing. Like I said, I want to see Josh Hart take more threes. I want to see him make 36% from three. Make enough so that they have to keep to make enough that they have to account for you. Like, Quentin Grimes did not shoot well in the playoff in the, against the Heat, but guess what? When he's out there, they guarded him. Reputation, they guard him differently than Josh Hart. Brunson, Captain America, I'm not worried about him at all. IQ, I'm not worried about him at all. Isaiah Harnstein, best backup uh, center in the league, as far as I'm Great concerned, I'm not worried about him at all. I want to see this team get to the playoffs. I want to see them win a playoff series. I would love to see them. Listen, Bobby Mark said he thinks the Knicks can make the finals. I'm not going to go that far, but I want to see them get to the second round. And if they play up, if they go up against a one seed or two seed, if they lose, go down fighting. And I don't want to see a game six, like a game six against Miami, where only one person showed up in that game six. It was or maybe they get to yeah. in that game. Or maybe yeah. we get to a conference final. And then maybe we get to a conference final. And then Joel Embiid said, you know what? Trade me there now. <laughs> I see. Listen, I like that because they've been linking Joel Embiid to the Knicks for a couple years now. Obviously, with the Harden drama, like that may or may not be a thing that could happen in the next two years. But I need people to relax with with the like this player should be on the Knicks. This or that. This or that. I think what the Knicks are strategically doing is they're seeing what they have, they're letting it play out. So when something can happen, they can easily move off of these players who have team options on their contracts and make a decision to improve themselves on. They're not committing anything to like a crazy four-year, five-year deal. They're just seeing where things are as they progress and they're being good while doing it. A lot of teams don't know how to do that. For instance, the 76ers, let's be trash for multiple years and then get better and now we're kind of mid, right? You guys are a good quality of mid. High quality mid, I would say, is what the Knicks are. Embrace the mid, baby. Embrace the mid. <laughs> Embrace the mid. But I appreciate you, Sean, for joining me today on the Gifted Hoops 
uh, podcast. I want you to, to again plug all of your stuff, everything Nick related. Go ahead and get your stuff off, Sean. All right, so you can follow me on Twitter. Is Mama called it Twitter? I'm gonna call it Twitter at SeanTheW underscore. Um, I am a part of the Knicks Film School community, so we have podcasts. Listen, I know I'm not talking to very many Knicks fans out there, but if you're a basketball fan and you want to learn about other teams, check out the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, I'm on during the season. I'm on every Friday. It's called Casual Friday with myself, Mensa Smith, my man XJ. Um, I host a... We also do KFS Study Hall on the weekends with my man Chris Persianen. So that's on Twitter Spaces. Um, this season, it'll be like, I won't be on every week, but it's me, Mensa, and Chris. So we're going to alternate. It'll be two of us every week. Um, and also, Live from the Mecca. That is, Live from the Mecca is how I got started in social audio. It was called, it was on, it came from um, Clubhouse Days, me, Cedric Shine, Jeff J., uh, we have not done as much as we have not done a lot of live film mega this summer, but it will be back in the year. Um, so you can follow that on Twitter at live from the Mecca, but take the O out of from. So it's live FRM the Mecca. And yeah, man, just uh, so, yeah, so follow Nick's Film School at Nick Film School. Uh, school spelled for school is spelled for K. So S K O O L. And follow live from the Mecca. Follow me at Sean the W. Um, and listen, I. I'll say two things before I gotta get out of here. One, I pride myself on I'm not that person who just pays attention to the Knicks. I pay attention to other teams. I watch other teams. I've discussed things with other teams. I talk with Gift about the Warriors. I talk with Dylan about the Pistons. Shout out to Dylan. We love you. Uh, talk to even Haw Alex's crazy ass Hawks fan TV. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, obviously Chris. Chris Barnett. Listen. Chris Barnett, shout out to him. He's the one that's brought all this together. He is the he is the connective tissue that has brought us all together. Follow him at Hoop Spaces and his show on AMP, uh, NBA on AMP. Follow that. And lastly, Gifted, I want to give a shout out to you because you have been grinding, doing this thing for the longest, cutting up video, making edits, making videos. Keep doing your thing. I'm proud of you. Anything you need from me, you let me know. Don't ask me for money. Uh, yet, but, <laughs> <laughs> but keep doing your thing. You, like I said, the whole, the whole um, locker room crew. You, Dylan, Derek, Heaven Sent, Heaven Sent. You don't follow me on Twitter, but that's okay. We still could be friends. And she's a Raptors fan and a Le LeBron fan. We still cool. Who am I? Am I forgetting from the uh, locker room? Like the whole crew. Big up all y'all. Appreciate y'all. Thank you for having me. Gifted. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Sean, I appreciate you having on the podcast this time. Uh, again, all of his links and all that will be in the description and comments. And I want to say I appreciate everyone who made it this far, including Sean, through this podcast. We're at an hour and six minutes on the recording. So I, I do appreciate that. Make sure to tap into the video version on YouTube, which would be Gifted Hoops. And also on audio platforms on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, Gifted Hoops as well. Make sure to five-star it on the audio platforms we're trying to grow more there, but also on the YouTube, I appreciate all the support. We just hit 1.2 thousand subscribers, so I'm on my way up. I, I literally went from like 500 to 1,000 in like 38 days, so I'm very hyped, but the the work is what I care about, and we're doing all this right now during the offseason. Once the season starts, it's going to be a lot more things, a lot more things to talk about, about teams overperforming or underperforming, so appreciate everyone who's rocking with us this far, and we're going to keep it going, but I'll catch you guys in the next episode 
of Gifted Hoops. Make sure to tap in. And remember, watch basketball, enjoy the narratives. But watch basketball first. Peace out, people. Peace out. Shout out to Luke.